Well, good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for July 24th, 2016. Koyo Kobose here, so very, very glad you joined us. I want to share an article that I read in a Buddhist newsletter and uh, some temples put right down center on the, their mailing list. This one is from, it's called Vista View, from the Vista Buddhist Temple, which is, Vista is a town south of Los Angeles in California, and uh, this is an article by one of the uh, assistant ministers there, John Turner. And then, no, he's not, he, well, he's an assistant minister at the, uh, Orange County Buddhist Temple, which is supervises or visits some surrounding temples that don't do not have a resident minister, and this is one of those. Title of his article is "Whose Line Is It Anyway?" And this is, uh, I think, related to freedom. The topic of freedom, which I believe I mentioned, uh, is a theme for the Fourth of July. Uh, <clears throat> religious freedom means you know, freedom of religion. And some it has been said that that preposition after the word freedom uh, is interesting because freedom of religion means you could choose any religion you want. Then the atheist reminds us freedom from religion. And then you could say freedom within our religion because a lot of times religions are become very dogmatic and rigid and there's no freedom within a religion. Whereas Buddhism I think really is promotes that. You know? Respects the individuality and says, Hey, you know, you've got to discover. You know, from our founder said, Hey, don't <laughs> what kind of religion is it where the founder says, Hey, don't believe it just because I say so. Check it out in your own life. Okay. Um, I think it's a sign of uh, insecurity of a religion when they say, you know, don't find something personally meaningful. You just follow what you're told. <laughs> you know, well, whose line is it anyway? Is the name of a uh, TV show that ran from 1998 to 2007 on ABC. I'm looking at the article here by John Turner. And the host was Drew Carey. The show was filmed in front of a live audience. And there's four actors who would improvise a scene given a short description, various props. The more random and disjointed, the better, because this opened up more space for the actors to create. Audience members often called out various professions and situations for the actors to integrate into the improvisation. The show was very funny and truly amazing. Very intricate scenes were being created in real time, right before your eyes. In fact, it was so amazing that it actually hurt their ratings. The show had trouble gaining credibility with the viewing audience. The people thought it was too good to be true. They couldn't believe that something so funny and entertaining was not scripted. The show was never able to overcome this cynicism. They were a victim of their own success. 
And I think the reason for this is that people really don't understand the deep meaning of the word spontaneous. I'm also one of these people. Ultimately, I too was watching whose line is it anyway. It just didn't seem possible that four people could work on and create a story together at the same time, live. It seemed like they were reading each other's minds or, you know, but that's not possible. So it must be that they had a script and the audience's participation was also rigged. But this is a misunderstanding of what it means to be spontaneous. It does not mean that one just wings it completely. It's a misconception. Spontaneous means to be free within a given structure. It does not mean to have no structure at all. So trying to be spontaneous by being provocative or purposely ignoring the rules is not really being spontaneous at all. I noticed this feeling of structure when I was in Japan for a 10-day ordination training. Every minute of the 16-hour day was accounted for within a spreadsheet. It seemed overwhelming. There was little free time, even less freedom of choice. It was all about the group and not the individual. And this is a very different way of living and can be quite stressful if one fights that structure of the monastic life. However, it can also be very enjoyable if it's embraced, if one can relax and just move from cell to cell of the spreadsheet. Surprisingly, improv is much like this. It is actually a highly regimented form of acting. Each actor is free, but only within very strict guidelines that the group must adhere to. Improvisation is not everyone just winging it. It's a group of highly trained actors performing within a discipline called improvisation. Improvisation. The reason that works so well is that they are all playing by the same rules. And that rule is that no one ever says no. Everyone has to affirm the action. Each player must move the story forward. They must accept every move made by every actor. This is what creates the scene and gives it life. This is what's going on within the show. Nothing is choreographed, but at the same time, nothing is really left completely to chance. To be good at improv takes years of training. One must have faith in the rule of affirmation. Finally, live, live it on stage with the other actors. Once these kinds of things occur, then it's easy as humming a well-known song. What is difficult suddenly becomes easy. It can be done without effort. This is when one acts spontaneously. So that misconception of spontaneity is it's also influenced how Buddhism is understood. Sometimes ministers make things, talking about the Dharma or living the Dharma, appear effortless. And it's not because they are not trying. It's because they are so highly trained within the Dharma that it's become spontaneous. They know the boundaries of the Dharma, and they can move freely, freely within it. Language becomes an instrument that, that they can use to spread the teachings. The Dharma talk becomes like jazz rather than a recital. Yeah, I think <laughs> Dharma improv. Now, Mr. Turner says, 
I often noticed during my training that my minister at Orange County, Reverend Parada, he seems to do everything so easily. Hey, you just ring the bell a couple of times, you chant the sutra, you talk, and you sit down. But it's much different when you have to do it yourself and you're not anxious about it. The rituals are there, very formal, highly orchestrated. However, their meaning is not truly felt until they become second nature. It has to be felt by the heart and not calculated by the mind. Oftentimes, I'm, I now give Dharma talks from a very rough, sparse outline. I know, the not, I know the notes I want to hit and then just play around that lecture and theme. The structure is coming not from me, but from the Dharma that I have been taught. I know where the boundaries are now, and I'm able to move more freely within those boundaries. This is really, I'm sometimes told that my talk seems spontaneous. I take this as a compliment, but really people, they should realize that I don't just get up there and wing it. It's a spontaneity that has taken 15 years of study and practice. I have often been asked how long it takes to prepare a Dharma talk, <laughs> and I answer, over 50 years, my entire life. And in a sense, I am just participating in what I have been taught by others. So if someone ever asks me, whose line is it anyway? The answer that it's the Buddha's line. And the lines of all my teachers that have trained me in the art of Buddhist improv. A practice where one never stops to action and always moves along with the flow of life. I thought that was a wonderful article. Uh, and it's really, in a sense, part of maybe our philosophy that we want to instill in our uh, bright dawn lay ministry curriculum and so forth. Yeah, that's nice. Well, I want to introduce today's Guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. This is William Sayo. He lives in the Midwest near Chicago, and he was part of our Lay Minister 6 LM6 group. So let us hear from William Sayo. Good morning. Wanted to share the final instructions from Shikatoshi Somie Sensei, the founder of my school, Mifu Shinkage Ru. It was passed down to my Soke Soke. Otsuka, who has shared it with me, and I wanted to share it with everyone out here. Do not have it in your mind that you will shoot at the target. If you do so, then you are searching for more targets than you can shoot at. The thought that is seeking a target is the same thought that is seeking an enemy. To seek an enemy is foolish. Foolishness is the dark side of your spirit. When you live a sincere life, then your spirit will have no shadows, no dark side. When your spirit and deeds are pure, then you will never encounter an enemy. Then you will overcome time and space and defeat all enemies. That is the Shinda true shot. Now while he wrote this talking about the intention of the Zanshin 
that we have in Mifu Shinkage-ru, which is a shuriken jutsu, it was a true shot. It's about your intentions, not whether you're actually throwing. It's the same as if you're cooking, offering incense, washing your hair, going to the bathroom. Everything should be with that intention. Your spirit and deeds are pure. When we do this, if you do a bow and arrow, if you throw a shuriken, and we use a bow shuriken, which is straight. Um, Hollywood created the star shuriken. Those were never used by the samurai at all. <laughs> that is a Hollywood meme that has passed on. So if you ever go to a shuriken school and you want to ask them, don't expect them to hand you a star. It's a bow shuriken or a straight shuriken. But I digress. With the true shot, when you have that mind, when you do anything and you put it in there, put your mind in it properly, you will know it. You can feel it. Well, I guess what the athletes will be called would be um, in the zone. But in our mind, it is the Shin Da. It's the true shot, the true spirit that you have and you keep that in your mind and in your heart. And the Buddha achieved that. He had that true mind, the Shinda, that he has passed down through his teachings. So if we take that, and we put that in our heart and our mind, and we practice Shinda, we put our mind there, and we practice Zanshin, which is a rightness of mind and a focus, we can achieve, as this says, we can overcome time and space and defeat all enemies. And sometimes the biggest enemy is our own monkey mind. So let's try to tame that and achieve Shinda. And I hope that you all have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. Namu Amida Butsu. Thank you very much. Well, you know... Then in the art of archery, and uh, there's some amazing stories in there about how the teacher could hit the bullseye in the dark. I believe that's in that book. It's been a long time since I read it, but how do you aim without aiming? <laughs> some people really get kind of cynical about uh paradoxical language that sometimes uh, is used in Buddhism. Meaningless meaning, purposeless purpose. Uh, but there's a logic behind those kind of uh, expressions. Not the usual form of logic, but you might call it existential logic. Um, well, Doing something 100%, becoming one with what you're doing, a true shot, true living. Um, I think the sports analogy of being in the zone is a good example. This is where, uh, you know, a master athlete does something fantastic 
he 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 does it, but in a sense, it's not really him in terms of his willful, conscious, ego self doing something. Something spontaneous and natural. Just like I was talking about John Turner's article, maybe. can be a nice connection. And many observers, maybe, when they see this athlete doing a fantastic creative move, it's such a wow that these young kids, they try to do that but it never works because the master athlete gone beyond all the fundamentals. That's all natural already. That's just second nature. Okay? Whereas the the rookies, they haven't paid their dues yet. You know, uh, that's one of the beauties of maybe athletic body-oriented in martial arts or, you know, the sports, is that flow where it takes over it by itself. Okay? That's, the, that's the experiencing of it, and it becomes very natural. Um, I thought a nice example of this kind of naturalness is uh, was, uh, it's also comes from a, a martial art context. There were some students in the dojo, and they, they and uh, you know they become very accomplished in physical prowess, uh, physical ability. And one time, the the head student, top student, other students, and they were walking, uh, and they happened to walk behind a horse, and this horse kicked out when somebody walked behind it. But this head's top student was so agile and quick reflexes and everything, he was able to avoid not getting kicked by the horse. And then somebody said, gee, that's fantastic. I wonder if our master, our teacher, could do that. He's getting kind of old, you know, I mean, gee, but... So they decided to do a test. And they took the teacher for a walk and they arranged so that he would go, his path would go right behind the horse and they knew that this horse kicks out and they wanted to see what would happen. And what happened is, as they started to approach the back of the horse, the teacher, you know, talking to the students and everything, and he just kind of steered around and went, went made a wider detour around the horse. Very natural and probably just did that naturally. You know, years and years of being aware of the situations, huh? his own training okay, in the broader context. That's a very beautiful way to live. But you have to pay your dues. Okay. Um, the word intention was used in the Dharma glimpse action. And that reminded me of an interesting experience I had once. We were traveling in the countryside outside of Chicago, one of the rural suburbs, and we just happened to stop at a uh, lawnmower shop. 
small place, and I had been look on the uh, lookout for uh, getting a lawn there for the temple. So I said, oh, I'm going to inquire here. And so I did, and I was buying this lawnmower, and, uh, and I had a, in Illinois, uh, nonprofits and temp- churches and whatnot have sales tax exemption. And you have a letter that says this, you know. And so I, I showed this letter. And I said, no, we're tax exempt, sales tax exempt. And the young man, you know, said, oh, you're a Buddhist, for a Buddhist uh, temple. And then he he said, you know, the other day I was driving and I hit a deer. And I really felt bad about this. Am I am I in trouble for, you know, killing this animal? And I didn't show it, I don't think, but privately I was thinking, is this guy putting me on? He just said that, you know, right over right, out of the blue. And I and I just let a few seconds go by and uh his face was earnest and so what I responded was no, you're not in trouble. Okay. Intention is everything. Well, that's what I said, and uh, I thought about it later. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways you could you could approach a topic or a teaching. Sometimes it's um, another devil's advocate type of thing would be, well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so forth. Uh, so it's not to be. It's to be used. Metaphors and and, and examples and whatnot are to be used uh, to bring something alive or to bring something home. Okay? It doesn't mean that that thing itself, that example itself, is useful or true or real in all situations to all people at all times. You know. I just mention this because sometimes that's that's the immediate reaction sometimes we have to some teachings and so forth. Well, how about you know, looking for the exception? And there's no naturalness. So today, July twenty fourth, twenty sixteen, is a good day. That's all for this broadcast. Until next time, keep going, and you have a very wonderful day. Thank you.